just heard is Dog of War by the Hell Yeah Babies, which means I'm Nick Bond. I'm David Gibb. And this is how wrestling explains the world. Exciting episode today, Dave. Oh, as always. I mean, they're all exciting, right? Uh, yeah, and uh, particularly exciting this week because we actually do have a guest. Uh, and we are going to be doing something different this week, which is uh, I'm going to be interviewing our guest uh, with help from a friend. And then Dave and I will be coming back after that interview, which is pretty long. It's about 40 minutes. Um to talk about some of the stuff uh, that happened in the conversation and also uh, some things we didn't cover uh, because I wanted to focus more on the specific movie villains. The person I brought on is a, a friend of mine named Rich Case, and he's a professional wrestler, and he is also a horror movie enthusiast. He runs an Instagram account and a Facebook group. His whole thing is uh, slasher movies, essentially, and uh, that is this week's topic. So yeah, we're going to be covering uh, Freddy... Jason, Pinhead. We cover pretty much everybody we could think of. And we also get to Vader. And uh, I think he gives an interesting perspective from uh, a wrestling perspective because he's a professional wrestler. Uh, but before we did that, we wanted to just go over real quick what we talked about last week to kind of set the stage, which is uh, the idea of Vader in particular as a monster heel and and how that fits with the idea of slasher films. And I, I think we kind of touched on it last week, but... Um, in particular, what I thought was interesting and something we kind of didn't get a chance to address is the ceremonial samurai mask that, that Vader wore, which I think adds another layer to his character in Japan. But in the context of what we were talking about last week, we would have just been like, it's cool. It's a really cool mask. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, when, 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 that's kind of my biggest association with it is it's just stinking cool. You know, eyes light up, shooting uh, smoke every which way, and Vader's weird gesturing uh, at it. it. It's quite the presentation. Yeah, and it's not like a staid pointing. He's like a football player who just got a sack, except the sack, like the sacked quarterback is a helmet that blows steam out of it but he does incorporate a lot of the like genuinely like frightening especially if you're a child kind of stuff like if you saw big van vader coming down to the ring in what looks like a like a demon mask you would be frightened of him and he does a good job of keeping that fright going and that uncomfortableness going past when he his entrance and that's a hard thing to do for a lot of monster heels and slasher films, so it's really the guys that can get past that initial entrance that I think really end up lasting. Yeah, and I think the mask is like, it hints at some sort of crazy belief system or some sort of crazy backstory that Vader has, but they never actually dove into it. And that's very similar to like a lot of the characters in slasher movies, where they have a backstory that's just filled out enough that you can... Uh, that you can really buy into it, but the, the, they kind of leave enough details vague. Like they're usually mysterious figures. And I think you see that in the mask ceremony that it's, it's creepy as hell and it speaks for itself, but there's also absolutely no explanation for it, which was part of kind of what, what heightens it. All right. Yeah. So we'll be back after uh, this interview. Mm-hmm. 
My name is Rich Kaysen, also known as JT Kaysen. I am one-third of the Beer Belly Bandits. We uh, mostly wrestle for NYWC Wrestling, NYWC Sportatorium. And uh, we are also joined by Juice Make Sugar, uh, former Juice Make Sugar writer at the moment. Uh, Currently and former. Andrew Andy Miller. <laughs> nice finger quotes. <laughs> the Andy. We won't talk about that. That's, uh, that's another podcast, Rich. And uh, this week's topic is slasher films. Which Rich is a bit of an expert on, right, Rich? I do. I've I've watched since I was a little kid. Since <laughs> hold on, you've watched you've watched the most violent, horrific movies since I was a little yes. since you were a child. That um, should be obvious based on how yeah. out of control I'm, Mr. Kaysen is. <laughs> it's true. It goes hand in hand a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure I, I vaguely remember going to Blockbuster Video and getting uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Five. Um, that's not the new blood, right? That's part. No, six. no, no. Is there a sub? No, that's part seven. That's part seven. Part no, seven. Part five's so. the uh, new beginning. Um, it features features uh, spoiler alert. Not the real Jason. Well, was, now I, well, there's no fucking point in watching the movie. Like, yeah, what? I, I need to return my rental. <laughs> oh, your is, Netflix is, DVD. Is the Blockbuster still open? You also have a, a Facebook group and an Instagram page called Beers. Beer, blood, and body slams. Thank you. Yes. Um, which you just post violent murders from <laughs> children's movies, I presume. I don't. And also wrestling-related memes. So tell us a little bit about like your upbringing in terms of watching wrestling. With, uh, along with horror, I've been a wrestling fan since I was little as well. In terms of monster heels, I, I'd say guys like Bam Bam Bigelow. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, I mean, yeah. not only was a good, like, good, really good monster heel, he, uh, he was athletic as hell. He was a great performer. Yeah, great. very, very great, great performer. Um, Yokozuna. Oh man! I mean, he squashed everybody. Yokozuna. A go back and look at somebody like his Samoan SWAT team stuff when he subbed in. Also in the Bam Bam Bigelow realm, how about the Big Boss Man? Yeah, Big Boss Man. Yes, a three hundred plus pound dude who just moved like the a- Guardian Angel, if you will. Yeah, uh, the Boss, if you also you, will, for about um, two weeks until uh, I got sued by WWE. Bubba Rogers. Big Bubba Rogers. Yes, yeah, he's big. He yeah. was big. Yeah, and those are guys, though I, I think he was more of a, a big sized guy because, though I will actually. He was the Hogan counterpoint for a while, which makes him a monster heel by default. Yes, and I, and I will say this I think the interesting thing about Bossman is a lot of his uh, scariness came from the fact that he was presumably a person of real authority. And it begs the question I think, is Vince McMahon like a monster heel? In a way, I could see that a little bit. Anyone can think of authority as like a. Big thing to overcome, and it's almost like the monster heel mentality in the same way. Oh, which, for instance, Jigsaw in the Saw movies is kind of like... Well, he's like the overseer. I mean, think about it this way. Vince McMahon is God, right? Yes. Anything he wants to have happen within reason of the way physics and human bodies work and the willingness of the participants is something that's going to happen on the show. That's right. And, and Jigsaw, more or less, is well, the same. Well, yes, but he also gives people the choice of whether they, they to do the things that he wants them to do uh, to try to show the will to survive. Mm-hmm. And that's that's his way of like trying to uh, make them seem like they're worth living. And he also is the baby face in a lot of those stories, yeah. if we can be honest, because a lot of the people that are dying are people who have done horrible things to him denied him health care when he had cancer. Like, like really over the top, like, well, maybe he deserves to have his face eaten by bears. Exactly. Bears. Like, it's... <laughs> no, I don't think there's any, any bears, but listen, bear traps? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> yeah. but there's, 
how many solo movies are there actually? Um, this would be the eighth one. Yeah, maybe number nine has bears. Nine's a lucky number. Yeah, for bear enthusiasts, nine is notoriously a <laughs> lucky number. Uh, so, if not Jigsaw, then who's uh for you uh, a monster beyond the realm of? horror movies well for the most part i mean the ones that have the most longevity are usually the best to go with like michael myers jason Voorhees, even to a lesser extent like pinhead from the hellraiser series uh, i mean actually of- even and more so reason pinhead was kind of like the runner of things down in hell mm-hmm. during yeah. those movies too so that's almost like a vince mcmahon of that unfortunately the later movies kind of diminished in quality but you see where I'm getting at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if that happens often in slasher movies because you're very you're you watched a lot. Everything. Yes. Everything. <laughs> Every, yeah, I think it's fair to say everything. I mean, for the most part, I mean, it comes with anything. Like, if you're gonna do something and have so many movies of a certain topic of a certain guy, a uh, certain monster heel or, or movie villain, um, it's gonna diminish in value. I mean, it's just you, you have to keep up. Thinking things, uh, thinking of ways to make it fresh, and that's really tough to do. I mean, in any creative endeavor, exactly. I mean, there's uh, as fun as it is to watch Jason Voorhees hack up teens in uh, in a uh, camp environment. um, You have to change things up a little bit, which is why you end up in space. And uh, I was gonna uh, say, um, like how you said, camp environment. I'm like. Really, it's that in space, man. <laughs> yeah, that in space. Um, which is why most of the horror villains for a while seem to go to space, like Leprechaun yeah. and uh, even uh, Pinhead. And um, the Critters went to space, too. What about someone like Freddy Krueger? Freddy Krueger seems, in particular, like he's cheating? Yes, because it's it, it's his domain. But then again, you can almost... Actually, that's almost perfect with, with the comparison to Vince. Like, there, the people are in Vince McMahon's world. Mm-hmm. And people in in the Nightmare movies are going into Freddy Krueger's world. He controls everything that goes on there. But unfortunately, like like as you said, it's cheating. And he's able to morph into any way he really wants. It's actually really shown really well in Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors, where he would morph himself, himself into the fears of the people that he was going to kill. Mm-hmm. And that gave him the advantage. And then he'd like just control the realm. The, the dream world just to, to keep the advantage mm-hmm. so yeah and that's like Vince McMahon deciding he's going to if he needs to be a ref he's going to be a participant in the Royal Rumble yeah. he's going to be whatever he needs to be within the context of the story to get himself over yes. especially over but and I think the interesting thing with Vince is he had and, and a lot of these people do uh, Yoko didn't mm-hmm. but Vader does uh, they didn't have Really great, and I guess you could say Bret Hart, but he he kind of got screwed out of that in some ways. They don't have villains in slasher movies. Don't really necessarily have real baby faces to go against. It's it's true. I mean, especially like a lot of them, they don't keep the same ones. New fresh face that you know overcomes the odds and overcomes the bad guy in those. Which I mean, to an extent, you see that in wrestling too sometimes to certain levels or at least certain people that try to do that. Like, you know, in terms of with Yoko, okay, here's, here's Hacksaw. Can Hacksaw take, overtake Yokozuna? No, not so much. Um, <laughs> Virgil. Virgil. Yes. Oof. Can, uh, oof. Oof, uh, oof. Uh, well, how, can he also warn Bret Hart about the dangerous Yakuzuma? <laughs> 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 don't worry, don't worry. Virgil, Virgil's sitting at a table somewhere trying to trying to sell as much <laughs> wrestling. And there are more Virgil. people here than there are at his table. When you look at someone like Freddy Krueger and someone like Vince, these are villains that can work over and over again. 
with different people, but also with, let's say, if you wanted to, you could probably have Freddy Krueger had could have had someone he was constantly fighting, right? Yes. I think that could have worked, too, because he's so powerful that he's able to morph into whatever he needs to. Yeah, and, and he has to a certain extent. like um, And gifted. He's yes. like a very gifted uh, demon, I would assume. He's mm-hmm. like, relative to other demons, good at his demon job. Yes. Um, well, he's like a Yelp reader. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, uh, or a terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Depends who's on. Like, well, no, I mean, he might want a terrible one. He might, they might he, be like, he, yeah, he's going to beat my balls. It's yeah. terrible. <laughs> Well, like, Pardon my friend, sorry. <laughs> his movies did actually have a couple of movies where there was the same heroine that overcame, or Final Girl, in terms of terminology in the horror world. Mm-hmm. Nancy was in the first and the third one, and Alice was in Alice was in five and six. No, wait, four and five, four and five. So like those were constants in his world, and then there was a couple other ones where where it was just like a random. You know, random person, but I feel like those ones weren't as strong mm-hmm. as the ones that had the, like the backstory with it. Yeah, and I think that that speaks to both the strength of the character and the ability to be malleable within the context of a given story. Is that like the, there are the reason that Vince McMahon and Austin work is because there's actual history with it on top of them both being great performers where a lot of the stuff Vince McMahon did that worked was because he was a great performer. Yes. When with other people, it was just like, I'm going to be the best fucking guy. With McMahon, Austin relatability was also. Yes. Yes. Because everyone could see themselves as the guy having a drink after work who wants to punch their boss in the face. And is, is relatability that important to slasher, like a slasher villain as it is to pro wrestling? Not so much not so much the villain, but in terms of who's the villain going up against. The the, mm-hmm. the, the person overcoming. And, yes. and is it is it a function of their will to survive that we're supposed to relate to, do you think? Well, that to in one way, but also like just their journey of like evolving, especially depending on how their car- character is. Like um say like uh in a movie Alien. Mm-hmm. Uh Ripley from the the beginning of it I mean, she's she's a little bit of a badass, but, you know, she's more of like a, you know, she's just... She's not a super heroine. She's a no. normal badass woman. Exactly. And over the course of the movie, she just escalates. She she evolves herself to come up to, against this monster heel that is the alien creature. And once she, she gets to the, that ultimate badass level, she's able to take on the creature. And Does she have the big... That's the second one. Oh, that's the second but, one. But, uh, but, you know, with no but I think, I think it, it kind of flows into the first. The first and second kind of flow with the, the badass and the – like she really, you know. I'd like to say for the record, Andy, people knew I meant the giant rig yellow. Yeah, rig nobody can see you talking about that. It's <laughs> good <laughs> podcasting. Acting that out. For me <laughs> to do yes. that. I want to back it up for just a second to say I love that we have devolved that Vince McMahon is on par – with a pedophile murderer who died in a fire he, and came back to haunt children in their <laughs> dreams and kill them for real in their dreams. He once, made, he once made Shawn Michaels wrestle a handicap match. Oh, sorry, God, no, it's, it's a yeah, yeah, I was sorry. Against God. He fought God. He literally fought God. Freddy Krueger does nothing but fight God every single time he appears on the screen. Listen, he is an abomination. It's true. If, Vince McMahon kills, if Vince McMahon is a pedophile who kills kids in their sleep, Camp WWE is Dude, way darker than any of us realize. <laughs> Who do you think is a slasher character, slasher villain character that had a lot of potential and has a, a prominent one, like a, a Jason level, 
who has been misused because they don't understand his appeal. As I said, Pinhead before, Mm -hmm. his first movie and his second movie were really good. They lost the course of what the series and what his character should have been towards the later ones. Mm -hmm. So like where some of these, some of these icons, I mean, people know, will know Pinhead, but I feel like he would have been up in that level of Freddy Jason if mm-hmm. it was done correctly. Which I think reminds me actually a lot of uh, Vader on some level, although I love Vader more maybe than you love Pinhead. Which is to say that I think like Vader had a potential to be like one of the all-time greats in the history of the business. Oh, yeah. And only became one of the probably the great monster heel. Yes. In the sense that... In America. In America, yeah. yeah he's In Japan, he's... God. Exactly. So in Japan, he's an absolute, uh, just a giant. Like we where, he was, where he was always taken seriously yeah. as a credible threat. Well, that's that's the big thing too. Is like with in terms of slasher villains too. As if there's a level of seriousness brought to the character, then it's it's it, it brings up the stakes that much more. Mm-hmm. Once it becomes more of a, like a jokey type of thing, like especially like Freddy Krueger, more towards later movies, he was he was, he was almost like a stand up comic while he's. Killing teens. Mm-hmm. So, and he's a pedophile murderer who died in a fire. Exactly. Because so, he was a pedophile murderer. You don't like Freddy Krueger, Dave. Listen, I, I don't. In other words, I, I don't mean in the sense. I of, will never root for a pedophile. How far is too far when the when the slasher becomes the baby face? Because in wrestling, we see it a lot where the the badass monster is just so good at being the badass monster. That you no longer root against that monster, you root for that monster to kill things. And, and let, me, let me say this: um, Dave and I talked about this last week. That is what my uh, Ted DiBiase calls the ass kicking heel. But you know, we see it in wrestling a lot, and in a lot of slashers, I feel like you end up rooting for the slasher against like the the, the or at least the kills. Like you right. don't like the people enough to not right. want to see those well, motherfuckers all, get murdered. Well, annoying. Here's and the, and and they become hateable people you don't mind seeing die well that's the thing if you create characters that are actually interesting that that have arcs and everything and and you want to you know like you've you grow accustomed to the characters and they're beloved then you'll have you'll want to see them live so then you know when the killer comes around you'll be rooting for them to survive more than the killer to kill them but if you have like oh generic stoner there um you know generic prep guy here <laughs> and so and a generic nerd and you know and you put them in these categories and there's nothing to it then there's nothing to root for because you can't relate to these people you just need to relate to the characters more and then that's when you cheer against them against the monster heel slasher guy so my question for you is is that possible to build up to when you got a legacy slasher villain like if, if you if, yeah it's if, really if, hard not to root for vader the third time you see if vader. you see it's like vader's fucking awesome yes. this dude does a back so play. like if you saw a, a new jason movie come out today you've got decades of jason legacy and story to go with jason and the reasons why he does what he does and who he's killed and why can you build up enough rapport with Brad the heartthrob and you know Mary the 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 cool but tough but silent chick in an hour to root for them against a guy that you paid literally paid money to go see. It's definitely a lot harder because these the uh, the 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 killers are already established, but they're also it's almost like um, there's a reason the movies are popular. Yes, Uh, and 
It's almost like the trick has been pulled out of the hat already and you know what it's all about. And then sometimes like, as like, especially with certain villains, if they're, if liberties are taken against these villains, especially like in later movies, it's harder to take them seriously. And it's just, just fun just to see them go out there and just kill a bunch of teens. And at that point, you know, it might hard be hard to come back and recover from that. Can you have a rejuvenated, what would a meaningful Jason movie look like to you where that actual it had actual cinematic value and wasn't just a rehashing of what they'd done before uh that's tough to say I mean I because I think like with Jason it's kind of gotten too far in terms of so like, there are there reaches a point of no return the way they did with Yokozuna or I'm a fat piece of shit Vader yeah where I it's mean, just like you you said you became human in that moment, and you now almost I almost kill off the slasher. Yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, they could try to, to do something where they go back to the camp and bring it back to basics and try to make it a more scary movie. But even then, like, it just kind of, it's just not the same thing. Especially like if you've grown up through the Jason movies and you've enjoyed just the campiness of it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's another level too. Sometimes people just love just the ridiculousness of it. Because even like the original Friday the Thirteenth movies. Like the like the first four. I mean, there's there's certain levels of tension in all of them, but like they're all still like movies you're going to see to, to see teenagers go to camp, have sex, do stupid things, and uh, get, get murdered. Get murdered. In increasingly ridiculous ways. Yes. Okay, so I've got two questions. First off, on that same note, we all want to see something new, whether it's a character we love doing something new. Or a new character coming out of nowhere and really just knocking us on our ass. In wrestling, it's hard because we all have that moment where we're like, well, we saw this. This character did this in this territory in this year. And we all kind of just go, it's a, re- it's a repeat or it's a rehash. Is it possible to come up with a new slasher, you know, a, a slasher villain who doesn't really rely on the same tr- – well, still relying on some of the same tropes because you kind of can't avoid the pattern, but to give us something new without giving us something, something new and refreshing. Yeah, people pay to see a Vader song. Yeah. Right. But at the same time, I also pay to see Braun Strowman flip an ambulance or, you know, pull a lighting rig down on top of two monsters. But you will pay for it again. Right. Like, I, I've seen the ambulance. I was there when it happened, and I don't need to see that same stunt again. Well, exactly. So it's kind so, of like ruined... So I guess what we're talking about are maybe are two different things. There are inherent characteristics of Braun Strowman, and then there are stunts he did. Right, but is is it possible to give me a new, either a new villain who gives me something new to root for or against, and then a new, even if it's a... Could you re... I guess what I'm saying, uh, I might be saying, is can you reestablish a Can you start over? Well, not even start over. Not even so much for a villain. You're talking about just setting up a new, like a new horror icon type of thing? No, what I'm saying is this, actually. Uh, Let's say you have Freddy, Mm -hmm. and you have Freddy doing shit. Okay. And then in a Freddy movie that you think is a Freddy movie, another non, not not another intellectual property, not other IP being drawn in. Not a cinematic universe, but literally something new. It's not the Marvel versus DC villains. In that, that universe, in the same that universe. He's now now you have to. They took all of that that let's call it what it is, goodwill towards the Freddy Krueger character, yeah. and we're like, he's an actual babyface now, but he's also a terrible piece of shit. Or maybe maybe not Freddy Krueger because he's a specific. Yeah, that's that's a hard one. That's yeah. a hard one to do. Uh, Jason. Jason. 
Um, and they maybe did they do it because I well I, they kind of did it with Freddy, Freddy vs Jason in a way like they because they made they made Freddy the the more of the heel of the story of that movie at heart Jason sympathetic yes if in terms of his back backstory and everything else because he drowned as a boy because the counselors weren't watching him and then yeah. he watched parent well it's based on whichever story you believe but he he apparently watched his mother die while trying to kill off the campers that you know. Because they're trying to reopen the camp. Could you have Jason be rejuvenated against Freddy, let's say, and then have Jason come back and be a bad guy, or would he have to be some sort of crusading jigsaw esque character? Um, I don't know if it would be like a crusading type of character, like Jigsaw, but like he, uh, I don't think you could ever bring him back to where he's just like you could just bring him back where he's evil, but like people at that point will just be rooting for him anyway. Yeah. Like it's it's gonna be hard to like as you said Paul or Cindy the heart heart throbs they're very it's gonna be very hard to get find within the confines of an hour to an hour you know actually pretty much an hour um, to find people that you can relate to enough that you care about enough and meanwhile when Jason's the person you come to see to do the carnage so Rob Zombie movies yes like um, the Devil's Rejects or um... House of a Thousand Corpses, the the threequel coming out to that. Um, is it a prequel? Or is it- uh, no, it's a, it's a sequel. Are, didn't they all die in a shootout? Um, that's, yeah, that's what we're trying to figure out at this point. So, but that's why they're coming from hell, three right. from hell. Is there a point where it's not just slasher, it's almost just shock value and grotesque? Yeah. Because there are scenes in The Devil's Rejects that are so fucked up. Oh yeah, where it's just I'm gonna do something brutal to you because I can, and not because there's any motive beyond because I can. Performative brutality for the sake of performative. Brutality. Yes. Now, in terms of Devil's Rejects, I think that's really fascinating because uh, with that movie, they did all these despicable things, but then the way the story and they're you know and the sheriff is built up as the heel again. Well, them. that's that's the thing. They're ultimately built. It's almost like a short version of what we've been talking about. Um, they've been the heels for like the good first chunk of the movie at least, and they do horrible, horrible things. And then all of a sudden, a bigger heel comes down, and all of a sudden we're cheering. Like we're we're almost to the point where we're cheering. Which for I think the, is an interesting heels. idea because in the context of the WWF and Vince McMahon, Vince McMahon is what the greater is evil <laughs> than Austin, but Austin untethered was a violent. Dangerous he, he person. He was an asshole. Yeah, yeah he was a monster. Yes, he was an asshole. So but, I guess, in, in but he's same, an asshole who we all related. Yes, yes. I, yeah. And to like, like to a lighter degree than what the Devil's Rejects was. Yes, it's a it's a very similar context. Meanwhile, the Devil's Rejects, you know, had people. It is totally the same as killing somebody in the middle of the street just to take their car. Yeah. Or cutting off a man's face because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and then wearing that face to scare somebody else. Yeah, he did, he came. Peek-a-boo. He came to Brian Pillman's house to beat the shit out of him in front of his and wife. And beat up like the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, exactly. Like, no, but I'm <laughs> saying, like, he did actual fucked up stuff. And we were like, yeah, get him, motherfucker. Well, then Brian Pillman pulled a gun on him. And then he's like, well, yeah. to protect his house after he broke in and beat up a bunch of guys. <laughs> Is Ohio or Red State? 
The noun is <laughs> this podcast. Way to go, Austin. <laughs> but you know, that's but even then, that was before he really became a babyface, though. You know, yeah, no, he wasn't a babyface. People were on some level rooting for him. Well, they didn't. They well, yes, oh, they eventually was, look back. That is something that's celebrated yes. as part of the legacy of Stone Cold Steve Austin, and not necessarily as him as a bad guy in the way that the ringmaster is, right? Like, the ringmaster, he's considered a bad guy. And then once that's gone, they kind of act like, through the thing, he slowly turns the crowd towards him when he's feuding with Bret Hart. Yes. he makes... They even treat it as though he's, like, a truth-teller against Bret Hart. Bret yes. Hart. Well, yes, he is a truth... Like, he, he's... He's 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 giving you not, no nonsense, the truth, and, you know... And, and I think what I, I will say about this, and I mind you, I haven't seen Devils Do Rejects, is that may, perhaps the Devils Rejects, the, 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 the titular, they represent the unfairness of life in its randomness on some level, where the sheriff represents the kind of authoritarian, purposeful evil that like is really genuinely frightening and we almost inherently root against. Uh, yes, I mean he does take he does take certain liberties in a way severe liberties. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a reach though. Poor mama. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know that I'd agree with your point. It, well, I, mind you, I haven't seen it. Right, so. it's the sheriff in that movie is so inherently fucked and so obsessed with capturing them by any means necessary. It causes it causes it, him to do horrible things. Right. In the, in, in, he becomes it's it's not it doesn't make them baby faces. It just makes them not as big a heel as he is. And then you have a final scene that sets them up as true baby faces in a, you know, we can either be pussies and back out of this, or we can stand up for ourselves and what we believe in and fight. Which, by the it, way, I teared it, up during that. It's, well, number one, they're playing uh, Freebird. Yes. And number two, it's a big Braveheart moment where it's like, we're going to get slaughtered, but fuck it, we're going for it. And so they become baby faces. They, they, yes. they, are they ultimately do. Yes. So I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She yeah. cried at the end because they die. Because I'm fucked up. It's, it's over <laughs> free bird. It's the music. Yes. But, but it's, I, it's, 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 I almost feel like it's almost an oversimplification. And a, and a, well, and obviously, a very, I haven't seen It's a movie. very generous interpretation of a movie you haven't seen. Yes. Um, but still kind of. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's, it's kind of fairish. Because what, and, and I, well, I think, look at the Vince, I can speak at it from the Vince McMahon character. He... At first, it's just like, listen, I just want the business to run correctly. And then he starts, like, screwing over Bret Hart. And then he starts doing shit to... Well, even with Austin, he came out and said, like, you can do things my way. Yeah. Or I can make this really fucking terrible for yeah. you. Look what I just did to Bret Hart. Yeah. It's, and it just escalates from there. It's literally a promo he caught right after fucking WrestleMania where yep. Austin beat Michaels and took the title months after Bret left. It's like, well, game on. Yeah. It's like, I'm an asshole, but I'm an asshole who's going to fuck up this dickhead. And he's our, he's, he's our, our asshole. He's, he's our asshole. And were the Devil's Rejects our asshole? ass, our assholes in that con, in the story of Tootie fucking fruity. Tootie fucking fruity. Yeah, uh, I guess I agree on that That's to a degree. Fairish. Yeah. Don't fuck yourself. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll give you that one. I'm less interested in the concept of what are the best slasher deaths than I am. What makes a good slasher death in the same way of what makes a good high spot? Just because of main, mainly the simplicity of it, but like it's a really brutal thing if you watch it uh, and just think about it, is the sleeping bag kill from Friday the 13th Part 7. That is the new blood. Jason takes this 
camper from that she's she's initially in the tent he comes charging through the tent and her best she feels like her best option is to hide in the sleeping bag meanwhile he's you know she's he saw her go in the sleeping bag so there's really nothing that's gonna stop him from doing his things body like, shaped shape in the uh... yeah exactly it's like oh no i can't see you anymore i guess you're not there anymore but he meet he grabs her by the legs and proceeds to swing the whole sleeping bag and the her her body into the tree Mm-hmm. Uh, like really, really hard. He's very strong. He's very strong. Well, it's Kane Hodder, so he's he's a very big guy. That's gotta be. That's gotta be Kane. That's gotta be Kane. But uh, but it was so simplistic, and and partially because MPAA cut out a lot of stuff. So like the gore and the stuff, there's supposed to be a little more gore to it. Um, the like they show her coming down. There's like a little like broken face to it, but it's not like mangled. So is that a like? Braun flipping the ambulance moment. Yes, it shows like the holy shit you didn't expect that to happen, and that was really fucking cool. What it, it, and actually almost like as as I said, things like that, that, things like that turned Jason into a baby face, mm-hmm. and meanwhile, you know, something like that turned basically turned Braun into a baby face because mm-hmm. of his like cool stunts that he did and the ways he reacted to things. What doesn't work for you? It's it's mainly just the stuff that's been been there and done that before. So it's less it's, like uh, there's less that there's a bottom to it than that there is a repetitiveness to it. So in other words, as long as you're escalating the premise, it's almost okay with you, and it, it can never get to the point where it's too high of an escalation. Unless it breaks you from the suspension of disbelief. Yes. I mean, like, if it gets to the point where, like, it's just an unbelievable thing that would never happen. I mean, you might giggle at something like that. Like, yeah. you, you, you'll you be entertained by something like that. Like, you What is a non... What would it mean to be a non-entertaining kill? Like, what... That wasn't boring, let's say. That wasn't That boring. was, like, trying for something. What would leave you the feeling the most, like... Not even hollow, but, like non-plussed after where you're just like um if it's trying to be creative and it just either like the the setup's not good or like the 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 cgi is too much or the practical effects just don't look good it just kind of puts you into like a it just kind of takes you out of the moment like like um with certain like high spots and stuff like that if it looks like something that won't realistically be done in a match like it's very very hard to to like be like okay um, I'm gonna stand with this guy and he's gonna jump and do a certain thing with me as I'm doing this whole certain thing and it just like it's cool thing to see but it just not it's just not logical so it's just kind of leave something to be desired really. so it's it's a matter of to you logic more so than anything else because you're kind of suspending your disbelief so much for these movies or you are in wrestling yeah. especially for someone like you who's a performer yeah. that you like whatever you do just don't take me out of it well that's the thing and, and also too like it has to work in the context of the world that it is being set up in the movie so you can have superhero level shit in a jason movie because you if it's if it's established it, that way from the get-go yeah. then cool but he I'm jumps over something that he shouldn't be able to jump over and you're like oh shit yeah no that's fine i mean like even the later movies jason started teleporting for no reason so that that, that kind Born of ready. nothing wrong yeah, yeah exactly like stuff like the the, the high flying stuff like if you're from the get-go like you know something like the young bucks mm-hmm. like where they do all this ridiculous stuff you just kind of know what you're getting into with that yes. so if it's if it's you know it's just entertaining yeah like you're not gonna you, you maybe not might not take a match like that seriously 
seriously in, yeah. in the context of a serious wrestling match. Yeah, quotable. Yeah, but but, but, if you, but if you're going into that match knowing what you're going to watch and you're, you're watching a enjoy, spectacle in a way that you're not necessarily you can appreciate. watching like a fight between two guys. Yes, you can so appreciate that. If, if a classic horror movie is Ring of Honor, Evolve, New Japan, jerk-off quality work rate match, right? There's always going to be that PWG Chikara esque counterpart to it. Yeah. So does a scary movie series, or does um, Tucker and Dale versus Evil that borrows the memes and just says "fuck you"? We're doing what I want. Uh, Joey Janela Spring Break esque horror movies. Does does that damage what you're trying to establish with a horror movie and with a with a quality slasher? Like by kind of like taking the piss out of it, or does it does it kind of accentuate that slasher or that serious shit by being <laughs> such a, a mirrored counterpart? Because it can be both. That's like the joy of professional wrestling is that it can both be Shikara and well, Mr. that's Co- Mr. Cornette. Does, does I was going to reference ruin, Mr. Cornette. Does it ruin wrestling or does it help it by having, you know, another flavor of ice cream? Um, or I, does it fuck up your flavor by that other ice cream being near your ice cream? If if this was – and actually it works in the context of horror too. If this was the 70s and 80s, I'd say yes. But the fact that this is, you know, a new age and like even like, like coming through like the 90s and everything else, horror had to evolve. Pro wrestling had to evolve. You know – People, people know the the basically the tricks of wrestling for the most part, um, as well as same thing with horror. I people know, know people, people, well, <laughs> people, people know all the tropes of both both avenues. Especially but, if you're watching like random, if you're watching Jason Part Seven, The New Blood, you've watched probably three or four straight other straight to Netflix. Yeah. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So like you kind of know. Like the the main parts of different horror movies and how they're gonna go and like actually if if the, the really the best horror movies are able to take those conventions and kind of flip it on its head a little bit subverted y- yeah subverted, yeah but and like make you make you think like oh this is gonna happen and then they kind of do something a little different to kind of do it but as long as it's not contrived so it's really to you as as a, I'll say a connoisseur of both wrestling and horror films about just accepting the world you created and living in it because you enjoy living in the world yes that's 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 more of a like like that's just easier to get on board with because like it's like a movie if you're watching a movie and there's a certain world developed by that cool but you just have to follow the rules of that movie otherwise it just kind of looks out of place can you can that vary from movie to movie thingamajig to thingamajig so you're saying like like in other words can in one would you be okay with them having Jason not be a superhero, and then in the next one, just being like establishing early on, or does that, in other words, do you require logical consistency within the universe? Or in terms of this, the series? Yeah. Or so? Um, well, it depends on where they're going with. Like, because actually the, the Child's Play series does this a lot, where it changes, changes a lot of, um, like, the first movie, he's a scary doll. The second movie, he's a scary doll. Third movie, he's a little more jokey, but he's still kind of a scary doll. Fourth one, he's just a wisecracking kind of scary doll. And the fifth one, he's just a character of caricature of himself. But he did beat Rick Steiner in a promo. He did, yes. For a guy who never shuts up, you sure don't have much to say, mean Gene. Well, uh, just, just a second here. Uh, Chucky, Shut the hell up. I didn't come here to talk to you anyway. 
I came here to talk to that idiot standing next to you. What? Hey, hey, bring your raggedy rear end down here! You got something like to say that, to me! Wouldn't you, Ricky? You've been playing with dolls all your life. At least that's what your mother tells me. But I'm not your type. You need a kinder, gentler, dumber doll. Me? I'd show you what it's like to get your head twisted off, your arms and legs bent and broken, and when I'm done with you, I'd let the dogs chew on you like some old shoe. How would you like that, Ricky? Um, and then they tried to bring it back after they realized the fifth one kind of failed. They tried to take it in a more serious tone again, and that worked to a degree. Like, it wasn't mainstream, mainstream, but, like, the fans like. And then, with the most recent one, Cult of Chucky, they, they tried to experiment a little bit more with, like, trying to make it, like, a different kind of Chucky movie. And people either like it, they don't. Um, I didn't mind it, but I'm also used to, like, the, the way they've evolved the character over mm -hmm. the movies, too. So, like, it doesn't throw me off, you know? Yeah, because you're not going from Child's Play 2 to Child's Play 7. You're yes, you, you, there's an evolution of that character. Like, even, like, you know, as you go through the Jason movies, there's, like, a certain... You kind of know what you're getting into by, mm -hmm. the, by the later ends of the series. So then, like, when they throw him space, it's not really like, oh, you know, I can kind of believe it. Is there a point of no return? for a monster heel comedy to move away from being a monster to come back to being a monster. Like for, for me, like Braun Strowman playing the, a fucking stand up bass as a guitar and then beating Elias with it was kind of a defining babyface moment where I'm like, I don't know that I can take you seriously as a heel again. Well, that's the thing. Like you, you almost can't. And that's, that's where they're going to run to problems later on. I feel um, is there a similarity see, to I, horror? Unless, 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 again, they put someone like a like a like a Paul Heyman with him that kind of sets him straight. And he, but the thing is too is like even when he turns heel again, he has to find a way to differentiate the way he was the first time. Can you have a situation where, let's say, he developed a relationship with somebody and then he turns on that person? Let's say Finn Balor. He grows to respect Finn Balor over the course of the year. Become very good friends. They actually like support each other, and then he turns on him. I mean, that would work to a certain extent. Um, and could you do that for a, a slasher villain? Yes, that you could build sympathy within him, and then basically he murders. Um, sure. I mean, it's it, you know what I, I I can't think of a direct. I'm sure it's it's happened in some aspect. Like Jason, you find a, he finds a person that try can soothe him, and then in the end he just. Fucking kills them anyway. I, I mean, there hasn't been a certain circumstance with that, but I can. I, no, well, in other words, what I'm saying is, do you think that is a way to rehabilitate a character like that? It would. It would temporarily work, but I don't think it will work in the long run in terms of. So, given the idea that, it, and this is something I think we've we've hit a couple of times in every which way angle we can, you can't rehabilitate monster heels. You can't rehabilitate really slasher villains once they reach a certain point, and on some level. It's not a sustainable trope. No, it's it's one of those things that they can be seen as for a long time as a as a force, sure, but to get the level of seriousness that they had from the, the get go, it kind of loses its luster. It's basically impossible. Yeah. Vader is probably the person that's come the closest, and he still ended literally his career with "I might just be a big fat piece of shit." Like that is like the downfall that you have in front of you, even if you are truly great. Like the person who's had the best career, I think, as a monster heel, in genuine, not like Abdullah the Butcher. He's been wrestling for forty Oof. years. 
I mean, like, the big shows. Probably the person, and he... But even then, like, he's... He's not what he should have been. No, I mean... But he's had the longest sustainable career. Yes. In a way that, like, I tell you right now, Jason Voorhees would be happy to have. (laughs) This is true. But but it's also partially because, see, like, things like his size, um, he's been able to adapt to his, uh, like, like, situations. Yeah. Um, he's charismatic. So he has agency in a way that a, a movie villain character doesn't. Over his, like, actual success in a way that, like, there's only so much Jason, a f- completely fictional character played by a person who's not Jason at all and is basically interchangeable can do to get Jason over. Well, I mean, in terms of, like, with someone like the, the, big, the big show, like, um... He he's able he's been able to you know continue to be looked at as like a, a force still mm-hmm. no matter whether he's babyface or heel or whatever he's trying to do so his monster heelness is gone but he's still considered he's a considered force. still you know like the same thing that goes with Jason if anybody's going to go up against Jason they know it's like a, it's a big deal like mm-hmm. it's going to be hard to take this guy down yeah so like that's that's more of a context of where where the big show is yeah. so like when someone does take him down it's like the holy shit. You overcame and did it. Yeah. Do you reach that point where it's like Kane, where it's like you overcame him, but nobody cares? Uh, well, the thing is with Kane, I feel like Kane didn't evolve as much as the Big Show did. Like, I feel like the the, the Big Show, and plus the Big Show is just the biggest guy they have there. You know, in and general. I think Braun, the matches with Braun Sherman really show. Yeah, and and that's not to knock Kane, who's I think an important. I love Kane. I've written about and, much. I love Kane. And he's hot as hell when he had one of the great highs, but him and Vader basically beating Anoki and Kane ripping the door off of the cell that they created literally to introduce his character. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm surprised it took us that long to talk about Kane, except yeah. for Kane hotter. Well, but I think it's an important thing to note is that he was the hottest shit in the entire world when he first came in. And then three WrestleMania matches later with The Undertaker, you're like, I don't give a Well, that's, that's uh, the problem. I, 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 did him saying suck it with a voice box? Suck help? it! Yeah, that didn't help either. But I think that's part of what you're talking about is the jokes did him in in a oh, way yeah. that his character was not sustainable because he wasn't able to adapt. And I think the times he was able to adapt, for instance, uh, Director of Operations came, were really well done stuff that he really did that a good job. It, it makes sense. Well, the stuff that he did made sense. Yeah. And they, they still made him seem like a threat. But it wasn't, like, obviously to the same extent as he was when he was regular yeah. Kane. But, like, he was still a threat of what he could do. And that's that's the thing. But, like, once you get to the point where, like, okay, he goes back to the monster Kane and we're doing this again. It just gets tired and boring and just you just kind of don't care. Like, at least with the big show, like, it's always, like, little subtle things that he changes. And I, I feel like it's a lot more effective. Even though, like, it's more it, – with big show, it's more – it's because he's the biggest – the actual biggest. Mm-hmm. I feel like it, Not it makes biggest more... Not biggest to Jace. What is the sustainability of a character like this in either horror or wrestling? I, I, I'd say in terms of uh, in terms of horror, I mean, you you can make movies and just keep them going and they'll they'll find an audience and they'll find an entertainment factor. But I feel like three, maybe four movies, usually three is like kind of the magic number with these things. And for you... I think either way, it takes a shit ton of very careful creative to protect the monster that you've built. Because if you're not very careful with how you handle it and thinking ahead on how you want to handle it and where you want this monster to go, it's very easy to go, hey, look, we can make this guy play guitar 
and then the next, you know, the next movie, the next match, whatever it may be, you've killed your monster. Nobody gives a shit anymore. Yeah. And like, it's also a risk of like re rising a monster heel too high, too quickly. Cause then they've reached their apex already. So like once, you know, once they're taken down, you know, there's that, that's ruined one of the part of the story. He's, he's not invincible anymore. It's not like the story of like, Oh, who could beat this guy? Which kind of like, which is kind of what turned Braun face already. I feel like the fact that he's already been beaten, kind of. Yeah. It, it he's been beaten, but he's still unfuckwithable. Well, that's the yeah, thing. Because there's two he's, people that they, have beaten him in like the last two years, yeah. and they're Roman it's Reigns, Kalisto by accident oh. in a dumpster match. Oh yeah, and Roman Reigns. And I, I think Roman and Brock and are Brock, the only guys yeah. who him. Yeah. And if the only guys who can beat you are Superman, yeah. you're doing okay. You have? Do you have a slasher movie? That would appeal to a wrestling fan. And you have a wrestling match that would appeal to a slasher fan. That's not particularly gory, but tells a good story of a villain. Because um, obviously you can be like, oh, well, if you like gory movies, you can watch. You watch yeah, it's easy. yeah. I would say, like, especially like wrestling fans now, you'd have to be a smarter, smarter type of slasher. Um, which actually, it's hard to really do that with slashers anymore. Maybe like a scream. Scream is like something that's that's different. It keeps you on your toes, and it's a slasher, but it's, it's like it, a more of a whodunit slasher. It plays on the tropes, but takes them in a different direction. Exactly, which I feel like the marks would love. Yeah, yeah. Um, as for the other way around, you know, it's it's that that one's a tough one to give. I mean, like I think like any good hardcore match, but not like overly hardcore match. You know, like um. Like a good like last standing man standing match where like weapons are used but it's used smartly. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Something like that where it's like it, it escalates but it's it shows like a good good story all the way through because like that's that's what like like horror fans in general like they like the yeah. the, the, the the stuff the gore and stuff but they're ultimately like just looking for a good time and a good story Royal Rumble 2000 Cactus Jack versus Triple H Great. that would be that would be that'd be a phenomenal one yeah because it escalates there's there's brutality but it's not grotesque but there are and it has one of the great shots in the history of wrestling which is the Triple H, tri- H blade job Triple H blade mm-hmm. job as he's climbing up out of the wreckage of the table and uh, yeah, I think that's like a cinematic. Yeah, I think that uh, there. The that's that's what everyone looks for. They they look for the like the little story moments, and they look for the uh, like the moments of escalation. Which like even like in a good horror movie, like the moments of escalation are, are like the the kills, and they're just looking for the story kind of underlying. They bridge those kills together. Yes, and then ultimately, like whether like the good guy wins or the bad guy wins, which happens in horror movies too. Usually, the good guy wins in horror movies. But the bad guy is always like maybe he's floating he's away, floating away, or he like, survived. He survived. But like there's, but there's been horror movies that where the bad guy is won, and it's like, uh, fuck you, because that's why. <laughs> Do you have any plugs? Basically, my uh, the of course NYWC Wrestling. The next show is uh, June thirtieth, June twenty third, twenty third. The brewery show. Oh well, the the brewery show. Yes, the brewery show. We're doing at uh, Industry Park in Brooklyn. Um, With other half brewery, other half brewery, forty plus breweries. Um, plus, we're doing a show there in the middle of it. Craft beer and pro wrestling. What yes, it's it's a whole lot of really good craft beer. Uh, I think tickets are running. It's I mean expensive ticket, but it's worth four hours of drinking beer. Plus a professional wrestling show that you would pay 
more than what it's worth. For yes, anyway. I think tickets are a hundred dollars for that per ticket. But uh, but I, I think it's well worth it, especially if you're a wrestling fan an and awesome a beer fan. We're it's looking forward to it. We're part of the show. Yes. So. Um, and then there's the thirtieth, which is our, our regular show. Actually, it's uh, it's going to distance, right? Going to distance uh, Saturday, June thirtieth, at the NYWC Sportatorium in Deer Park, New York. Yeah. Tickets and uh, match information at nywcwrestling.com. As for as for um, other plugs, uh, as you you said, I have a Facebook page and a Instagram page. The Facebook page is Beer, Blood, and and Body Slams. It's the symbol and, um, and the Instagram is just at Beer Blood Body Slams. And for me, you can follow me, Andy Miller JMS, on the Twitters. Um, it's mostly plugs for upcoming NYWC wrestling shows. I'll get you up to date on any storyline information you need to know what's going on before you walk into the Sportatorium and uh, the other various locations for our badass summer shows. Uh, NYWCWrestling.com for all our show information. It, it's going to be a lot of fun, uh, not only for us as part of the show, but for anyone who comes to check us out for our established fans who come every month and for new fans who come check us out on a whim. We're going to have to call it quits as our time is up on championship wrestling. It looks like that uh, they are outside the ring. This is Lance Russell from the Tupelo Sports Arena. Hey, Mike, can you get the camera? They got a hell of a fight going on down there. See, can you get it down? Let me get the light stand off here. Bring it on. We'll go back and edit this. back in. Okay, can you get it rolling? What you're looking at is the wildest fight we've seen. Latham and Ferris and Dundee and Lawler in the concession stand, all four of them bleeding, pounded each other. Lawler ooh, fired a gallon jug they're banging away. Watch out, Mike. Dundee with Latham and Lawler with Ferris. Oh, there's mustard all over us. I hope it didn't get in the camera. The referee trying to get him stopped. Uh, the song you just heard was a clip from the original Tupelo concession stand brawl, which Dave, uh, I believe is a favorite of yours, right? Oh yeah. I mean, if you can type one wrestling phrase into uh, Google and, and watch the video that comes up, I would say Tupelo concession stand brawl would, should definitely be number one. And uh, Minoru Suzuki Pancreas should be number two. But anyway, back to <laughs> back to Tupelo concession stand brawl. Tell me a little bit more about uh, both the maybe not necessarily the storylines leading into it, but uh, like, I don't need an in-depth discussion, but just who's involved. Cause you kind of get the names. Jerry Lawler's involved. Uh, Moondog spot, I believe is involved. And Larry Latham. Yep. Uh, Lawler's partner is Bill Dundee. I believe Lawler's a kind of good friend, better enemy on and off again, rival for many, many years. Um, and then Larry Latham, Moondog spots partner is Wayne Ferris, who is the honky tonk man. And Jerry Lawler's cousin. 
Yes, yes, very famously Jerry Lawler's cousin. Yeah, absolutely. Although they were the blonde bombers at the time. So they both had uh, big kind of dyed blonde or bleached blonde mullets. And I think they were both sporting big blonde goatees at the time as well. Yeah, and the the match itself is kind of a, a shit show. Um, and then it devolves into this brawl, right? It's not, I mean, you can kind of tell when we're listening because the clip starts with them essentially signing off of the show. Yeah, so like a major thing that they did on wrestling shows in the, in the 70s and 80s, especially like in Memphis and uh, Crockett, they did, they did this a lot in both those two territories, would be to end the weekly TV show really, really hot with like a non-finish or with a match where they said, oh, we're out of time and the finish didn't fit on TV. They would they would end hot like that. And the idea was that that was supposed to get people to the house shows. So then you could see, you know, the you could see the match with the decisive finish. That was like a big technique. But so what they did with the Tupelo concession stand brawl is they they had the hot match in the ring, but then instead of it ending, uh, like, like as you heard in the film, there's kind of a false finish and then Lance Russell says, you know, on, on the talk back on the production that you can hear, you know, oh, they're having a hell of a fight over in the concession stand. So it, it was this idea that it was it was really this is a big theme that we keep coming back to is that it was really presented as real in a way that the rest of the show that had come before it, they were kind of admitting wasn't real. Like this was realer than everything else. And by the standards of what was presented on TV at the time, people throwing real objects at each other was was really not done. Like there was cartoon violence, like in the old Warner Brothers cartoons and there were pies to the face, but like people throwing actual household objects at each other and smashing each other over the head with buckets wasn't super common on TV. Like you might see it, you know, at the arena, uh, but it wasn't something they were giving away all the time. Yeah, and something uh, Rich and I, uh, Rich, Andy and I talked about a lot was the idea of not being able to escalate uh, that there's an inherent need for violence basically for the people who are drawn to things like the Tupelo concession stand brawl or a slasher movie there's an almost inherent need for violence that they like not necessarily every single person that likes a slasher movie or the Tupelo concession brawl is a sadistic monster but part of the reason it got so over is because there's a bit of a bloodlust and I think what's interesting about the Tupelo concession brawl is that a lot of it is in, like you said, the uniqueness of the situation happening less so than necessarily the extreme violence. Cause like he throws mustard at him. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just even the way uh, Lance Russell is reacting with saying like, Oh, I hope the mustard didn't get in the camera. You know, it's, <laughs> on one hand, it's like completely cartoonish and stupid. But on the other hand, it's like a very practical consideration because, I mean, that camera probably belonged to the TV station, not to them. So, you know, if they had ruined the camera, it would have been a real a real problem. I think you can look at this and trace how you got to like, even in the next couple of years, like an ECW. Oh, there is there is a very clear and direct line. Absolutely. And I think you also see it in the way, and I think this is something that... um that really, to me, uh, is something that doesn't get talked about enough, which is like the FMW style of deathmatch. Because when you talk about ECW, what you're talking about is, for lack of a better term, garbage wrestling. Like literally litter. They're hitting each other with litter. What- and no no rules. The ref is only there to count the fall. Yes. Where And I, I think uh, you can speak more to this, perhaps, because uh, I've only seen one exploding barbed wire deathmatch. Uh, <laughs> the FMW is much more just 
grotesque violence for the sake of grotesque violence or as i said performative brutality for the sake of performative brutality yeah yeah fmw is the brainchild of a wrestler named atsushi onita who was like he, he came up through the all japan chain we talked about all japan last week uh, a little bit but uh he went to memphis as part of his excursion that's part of your traditional training in japan is you go to on an excursion you go to another country and you work there for a couple of years and he went to memphis and uh he saw these brawls in fact in 1981 he was part of one of them they 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 so once they'd done the tupelo concession stand brawl and it got over like crazy they kept kind of going back to the well particularly in tupelo and he was in another concession stand brawl in tupelo in 1981 and so he goes back to Japan and he's not as big of a star in Japan as he thought. And he has some kind of injury issues. And so he goes and he kind of takes what he saw in Memphis and he turns it. He kind of turns it up to 11 uh, to use the uh, spinal tap joke. Uh, he turns it up to 11. And that's really the FMW style is what he learned in Memphis and him using those shortcuts to kind of make himself a star by doing something really different and really noteworthy and also to kind of hide his physical limitations. Cause I think he had like a neck or a knee or something early in his career that really limited, you know, what he could do in terms of the general expectations of a main event match in Japan. So there's a very clear uh, line between the Tupelo concession stand brawl, the founding of FMW, and then definitely FMW as the, the real, the, the kind of, uh, I don't want to say, creation ground because those aren't even good words to put together uh but it was kind of the nursery for ecw there we go those are much better words it was the nursery for ecw both in terms of ideology in terms of spots people were doing and in terms of wrestlers like from sabu and mike awesome and a lot of those guys who we think of as ecw guys uh really were you know before that they were fmw guys and also when we talk about sabu really we can tie him back to his uncle the sheik you know ed farhat in uh in Detroit, and he was kind of another one of the the innovators of violence in wrestling. So really in FMW, you have Sabu representing, you know, his uncle is sheep. You have you have Onita representing that Memphis style and really kind of with a mad scientist's eye, you know, turning up to 11, like you said, literally like shooting off fireworks or having fireworks go on directly under wrestlers or directly above wrestlers, just like, you know, like eardrum shattering explosions. Uh, two by fours with coils of barbed wire around them, like a like Abyss used to use in TNA, but like much stiffer and nastier with much more barbed wire. Like yeah, actual barbed yeah, wire, exactly. not gimmick barbed not wire. Not gimmicked barbed wire with the with all the points filed off. You know, no, exactly. So that that was definitely the the prevalent style there because it was eye catching. And I mean, if you look at kind of the environment into which FMW and later ECW. Uh, were born like wrestling had really become very staid like in the mid to late 80s into the early 90s and one of the big ways that you could really get people to feel something again was violence because as we talked about a couple of weeks ago we keep going back to some of the same talking points like when we were talking about getting color and how getting color kind of made it real and the ultra violence of hardcore or deathmatch style wrestling kind of made wrestling real again in the way that, you know, guys getting color had decades earlier. I think key to what you said there was the idea of them having the same philosophy, but that philosophy isn't necessarily hardcore wrestling. It is accentuating the positives and hiding the negatives. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's the underlying philosophy of ECW. The reason they did it the way they did it is because they had wrestlers, talented wrestlers. ECW has had one of the most talented, if not the most talented roster of all time. 
from like in terms of the names of people there you're talking about the who's who of basically talented technicians for about 10 years but they also had a bunch of really bad wrestlers who couldn't do anything in the ring so they set tables on fire and power bombed each other through them yes i uh i'm trying not to say any names and be really mean right now but i'm i literally am thinking of specific matches that i have seen uh where, where that is the case <laughs> yeah because you'll watch old ecw it was much more hit or miss because you could have an incredible match between like Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio, or I don't know if they ever fit, but you know what I'm saying? Like really high quality guys that became stars, or you could have Balls Mahoney and Axel Rotten versus Public Enemy. Oh yeah. I mean, if you go back and watch, I mean, they're on the network or a lot of the run is at least those episodes of hardcore TV, you said hit or miss. That really is the right word because I mean, some of the stuff is great and they're edited up like an old territory style show where you don't see all of the matches. A lot of the time they'll join matches in progress or there will be blatant cuts in the middle of matches where they've edited out chunks and stuff either for miss spots or for TV or for a spot that they're saving for house shows or whatever. You know what I mean? But, uh, it, but that, that format, like you said, really speaks to the idea of really accentuating the positives. That you're literally, you're not even putting your show live to tape. You're literally only seeing, you're only showing people the most eye-catching moments. And like you said, it was born out of necessity. Because like, I'll, I'll say a name, uh, the Sandman. So like, if you have, <laughs> if you have, yeah, yeah, exactly. If, if you have a 20-minute Sandman match, there are going to be four or five legitimate kind of holy shit moments. Like he's going to, you know, superplex a table onto someone and land right onto them or whatever. And that's great. And, you know, he's actually going to do a really nice looking vertical suplex, which is the move off the top of my head. I know the Sandman makes look good. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, like it, there's a lot of stuff in between that you do not want to see. Uh, in terms of like him getting back up to his feet after he takes bumps and stuff, it's just like not pretty. And 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 Paul Heyman and the, his production team, when they were putting those shows together, they were masters at showing you exactly enough to show you that ECW was really exciting and different, and exactly enough to make you want to go to the arena show. It really was kind of a highlights type show. So like you said, the highs were very high, but sometimes, like you said, the all time roster was great, but the roster at any one time, I don't know if there was ever a moment where they had a roster say like WCW did in 1990 or like uh, WWE did in, in 2002. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think they ever had that roster, but they always did the best at taking what they had that was good, making that the focus of the TV show. And if you had to fill out the time with some other stuff that wasn't as good, at least you could get the stuff that was, you know, good and violent because that's what people wanted to see. Yep. And I think that is an interesting, uh, in particular, an interesting parallel to Slasher Fix, especially in the 80s where they were just churning out four and five versions of a Jason movie or a Freddy movie in part because it was so cheap to make. And they were just like, we have this star. We're just going to build a franchise around him. And, and sometimes it's Shane Douglas and sometimes it's Freddy Krueger. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, that's ultimately, I would say, I mean, maybe Rich would could speak to this better than I, obviously, but that's really what burned those movies out was was going back to the well in conspicuous ways faster and faster and each time giving less care to the writing to the point where like some of the movies like some of the later friday the 13th movies are some of the or not i want to say later but some of the ones that they were making like the early 90s they're almost parodies of the earlier movies yeah there's a one we brought up during the conversation was uh 
Friday the 13th, part seven, The New Blood. Sorry, I had to remember the full title there. Um, oh, it's, it's worth remembering. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, though it does include Rich's favorite murder, um, maybe in the history of slasher films, it also is literally like we're rebooting this thing from the beginning on in the face of it. And that is the one late period Jason movie I've seen. And it is just a fucking parody of a, of the first Jason movie. Like I've seen Friday the 13th and I've seen Friday the 13th part seven, the new blood. And they are involving the same character, but that's pretty much it. Everything else is just like, completely they have completely stripped whatever inherent value that say in the same way that like death casket glass matches in tournament of tournaments of death do the original tupelo concession stand brawl yeah that's a good analogy there it's like um you, you know, when I think of Japanese wrestling, like you think of like the, I don't know, the 80s, you think of like Tiger Jeet Singh and he had his sword, but the joke was always that he hit guys with the hilt of the sword. Like he never, you know what I mean? He didn't swing it. It's much like Triple H's sledgehammer. He didn't actually swing it as you would in, in anger. But then you like had this moment where it went from like, well, of course you wouldn't swing the actual blade of the sword at the guy to like, what if you swung the actual blade of the sword at the guy? Like when you see some of the stuff where there are like weed whackers used in the ring. And like, I have caught my ankle with a weed whacker and it is not something that you should be doing recreationally. Like, you know, (laughs) I guess I do feel that like there was a line that got stumbled over at some point, kind of, I think after the death of official ECW and all these like smaller indie companies and kind of backyard wrestling companies kind of, you know, popped up to try to replace it. But there was really something lost, you know, when the, when the original version of ECW went down. And I think that really is when stuff like slipped into parody. Cause obviously the ECW stuff was pretty stinking extreme, so to speak. Uh, but I really, but they, they were, you know what I mean? Other than stuff like mass transit or whatever there, there was, or some of the like balls, Mahoney, Axel rotten stuff. Like there was, I don't know. It, it was never. It was never just a geek show. There were geek show elements, but there weren't like guys whipping each other's nipples off with uh, with weed. Yeah, it wasn't grotesque. It was, in a literal sense, an extreme version of the stuff you may see on WWF. Or that's like who's the? I'm sorry. Who was the indie wrestler who for a while? Was it Trent Acid? Who may he rest in peace? Uh, there was some indie wrestler for a while who literally used a syringe as a foreign object, like a fucking hypodermic needle i'm trying to remember it was somebody for czw at one point but literally would stab people with a syringe which is just sorry i don't know how i got down it i did i remembered it and i had to say that's a that's a really important thing to understand is we're not exaggerating how gruesome some of the american style deathmatch things get they're really grotesque things to watch in a way that's not even performing art like performative kind of it's just exploitative in a very real way that makes you uncomfortable and that is not necessarily its intention yeah definitely i mean it is i know that there are certain wrestling commentators out there who kind of throw this word around a lot uh but it it really is a a geek show like the performer at the circus or the carnival who was the geek the idea was someone who, you know, bit the heads off live animals because they had no talent. Their only talent was having no self-respect and no sense of self-preservation. And people would pay to 
point and mock them. And like that was that form of entertainment. So it, it literally did kind of devolve into a geek show where you're just marveling at someone's, you know, disregard for their body. Uh, yeah. And I, I think you see uh, at the same time that things are getting more and gr- more grotesque, you're seeing a de-escalation of violence in WWE. They rode them till one of them didn't show up to work one day and they found out he had done something really bad. You know, I mean, they they did it until Chris Benoit happened, really. That's when you started to see the huge reductions. This is actually something I wrote about in the Wrestling Estate Roundtable last week. They're like the most important wrestler death is undeniably uh, Chris Benoit or Nancy Benoit, if you want to look at it that way. Like those are the most important wrestler deaths because it actually changed the way the industry leader viewed violence. And they realized that and they helped they understood what the worst case scenario for promoting violence was. With that, you get uh, also at the same time a change in the way that a lot of mainstream horror works, especially in the last couple of years, it has become much more a story concept that works and gains traction than grotesque violence. Like you still have hostile and you still have torture porn, but those are much less mainstream than Freddy Krueger or Jason was. Jason and Freddy Krueger are icons of the eighties the whoever the main character in hostel is isn't and jigsaw comes close but at the same time that is a much more layered and complicated horror story than what we're talking about along with that uh you see stuff like the ring and stuff like that where they realize that you could do something cheaply and just have it tell a good story or be visually interesting which is i think also what happened in indie wrestling is that they realized Yes, you can go down this path, but you have to go deep down that path where like, and the consequences of it are horrific, where you can keep having guys do flippier flippier and spinnier things. And yes, you will get diminishing returns and you might have a guy that like hurts himself trying to do a 720 flip. But like for the most part, those injuries are less... uh, horrific less unnecessary and less likely than they will be if you're constantly hitting people in the face with fluorescent glass tubes (laughs) yes i definitely think that that would be true i mean i remember right before they they kind of turned off the blood on wwe uh well at least kind of in the in the most lasting way they've done it because it's been an on and off thing forever but uh they did that cage match with uh, chris jericho and batista where Chris Jericho t- took like a bolt off the cage and he uh, he hit Batista with it and Batista bled like crazy and like the camera was like right on top of it and stuff. It, it was interesting because I remember that was a time when like you and I were watching like every second of WWE wrestling like every single week. And that, that literally was a turning point, like a moment where they did something that was really, really like starkly violent and undeniably violent. And you could literally see them rein themselves in on TV over the next weeks and months. It was really, really fascinating that like, you know, that they realized that sort of the, the age of the demographic had been getting lower and lower and they did something that was just violent enough that they actually worried that it was going to turn people off as opposed to like the attitude era where it's like, you know, they had someone give birth to a hand. There was like nothing that was going to turn the fans off, but like, 
they saw with that, I think there was the Chris Benoit thing. And like I said, that spot with Batista and Jericho, where I think they, they got more than they were looking for. But I think those were kind of two moments where the WWE actually said like, oh my gosh, like the violence thing isn't sustainable. It can't just be sustainable. And like you said, the horror movie industry did the same thing. They started looking at the Japanese horror movies, right? That's where like Ring and uh, all those movies that were popular at the same time were remakes of Japanese horror movies. So once again, our show has returned to its theme of the interplay between Japanese and American culture. Great. I think that works perfectly. Um, I think we can end on that unless you have anything else you want to add uh, to the escalating violence ruining both independent wrestling and horror movies until someone died and then everything went back to somewhat normal. <laughs> no, that sounds good to me. I'm, I'm game for that. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Uh, do, uh, do you have any plugs? Uh, just briefly, as always, follow me on Twitter at Dave Wrights Junk and check out The Wrestling Estate. Uh, this week's round table, we talked about money in the bank. And um, there was almost unanimous agreement among the entire staff uh, that everybody liked Money in the Bank, except for one person. And uh, you can guess who that was. So uh, you should uh, check out the roundtable at the Wrestling Estate. Um, uh, you can catch me at the Nixer. That's T H E N one C K S T E R. Uh, check out Jay's Make Sugar. Uh, and also don't forget to check us out at howwrestlingexplains.podbean.com, podbean.com, or and or uh, subscribe to us, rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, only five stars. That's our request or my request. Dave's fine with four stars because. I mean, you know, the only really valuable feedback is honest feedback. I'm ready, and this is for you. Thank you.